This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, over the past several weeks, we have looked at this prayer in detail as a part of this How to Pray sermon series. I I struggled when we started this trying to think about what did I want to title this series. I knew that I wanted to talk about the Lord's Prayer this prayer that Jesus gave his disciples, a prayer that we find a a couple different times in scripture as the disciples talked about their interaction, their experience with Jesus. So Jesus goes into this prayer going to teach his disciples how to pray. In one account, the disciples actually ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. We don't know how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And why would they ask a question like that? Why would we ask a question like that? Why would we have a series called How to Pray? And the reason for that is it's really easy for us to develop some misconceptions about God, some misconceptions about ourselves, some misconceptions about prayer. There are things that we can think about God, things we think about ourselves, ways that we believe we interact with God that cause us to to maybe struggle with prayer, for some of us maybe to never pray at all, for some of us to to question and wonder about the efficacy of prayer. Why, Why should I pray? Why would I pray? What does prayer accomplish in our lives? And so sometimes we look and we see, and and maybe it's the way we've heard people pray, or maybe the way that we've prayed in the past, or maybe things that we've seen undone by prayer, and we wonder, is there any point to this whole praying thing? And so what we've done here is we've looked at this prayer that Jesus gave, and as he teaches how to pray, as he teaches his disciples how to pray, and as we look into the scriptures and we see this living out in them and we connect it to ourselves, we, we look at it within its context, we see how it applies to our lives here in this place here and now as we follow Jesus, we also then learn how to pray. How to pray. But what we wanted to do is I don't want to just take this whole prayer and just go into one prayer. And, and as you read it, you can't, it's hard to just say, okay, well, just pray like this. Just pray this thing. Because there's so much going on here. There's so much depth to this prayer. There's so much as we begin to look at each phrase and see what they have to teach us. So we've spent some time. We've spent some time uncovering, really thinking about, processing, discovering this prayer together. As we've done this, the youth group uh, has also done this. They've walked through this prayer with us. And I think it's cool to see our whole church talking about what does it mean to pray. Now, the people in the ancient world had some of these misconceptions about prayer that I think are true of us today. And so when Jesus teaches this how to pray, he teaches us, okay, here's the misconceptions. Here's the things that we can believe. Here's a different way to think about that and begin to understand it. Now, we started out in the first week. We learned that there was a common belief of the ancient people, 
that they believed the gods of the ancient world were mysterious and angry and distant. And I've repeated this over and over the past few weeks. You're probably like, okay, Ryan, we get it. The ancient gods of the ancient world were mysterious. They were angry. They were distant. That's how people came to understand them. We, we understand that now. But I want to repeat this over and over again because this was so critical This is such an important concept because the people didn't know if their gods were listening or if they cared about them at all. And this is an easy misconception for us to have. Why would God care about my life? Doesn't God have better things to do? Is God even listening? Now, to get the attention of the gods in the ancient world, what the people would do is they would create these complex, these confusing, these public prayers. They, they would pile on names and attributes about God. They would, they would pray in such a way that they impressed other people with the way that they prayed. But Jesus pushed back on this understanding, this attitude of prayer, as he began his prayer in a different, very different way. So go back to the very beginning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name our Father in heaven. And Jesus began his prayer by telling his followers something that was very different than the misconception about the gods of the ancient world. This God is a loving God, a loving Father. And then along with his love is his power. And Jesus told his followers his name was hallowed, a word that we don't use very often, but it meant holy, it meant different. We experience awe as we reflect on the majesty and the glory of God. And then as we serve God in response to his love and his goodness, his majesty and his awe, we're to reflect that love and goodness into the world. And so I want you to hear, this sets up the entire rest of the prayer for us. When when we accept God as a heavenly father, strong enough and powerful enough to handle anything that comes our way, but is first, first and foremost a heavenly father who loves us who knows what we need before we even ask that he cares specifically about us that begins to change our understanding of god it changes our understanding of ourselves and then he says listen i want you to take that same understanding that goodness that love the mercy we see in god and when we turn and we reflect that into our world this prayer is all about accepting the reality of who God is, what God desires, bringing that within our own lives, accepting that reality, changing our hearts, and then turning and reflecting that into this world. If there's anything you get out of this How to Pray series, if you forget anything else that I've said, that is the most important thing that I can tell you today. Probably the most important thing that I can tell you as your pastor ever is that the Christian life is about accepting the love and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God, realizing that God loves you and cares about you, understanding that God's grace and mercy and goodness is meant for your life, and then not to just sit there with that reality, but to truly accept it, to allow the Holy Spirit to live within your life in such a way that those truths live out, pour out from you and are reflected into this world. That is what it means to follow Jesus. That is what it means to accept salvation. That is what it looks like as God begins to change this world through his people, through the church. So we reflect this. 
we invite God to work in and through us and his will would be done on this earth. So we go into this next verse, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the picture of heaven that we read about in scripture is when God restores this world. There is no longer suffering. There is no longer pain. There is no longer injustice. So if we're living out the reality of this prayer that we accept this about God, we take it within ourselves and we take it out into this world, what we see is that Jesus' prayer isn't that we sit idly by, but we join hands with God, we join hands with, with others, and we share a glimpse of this eternal hope with our world. And then Jesus tells us how to do this in a very pragmatic way. He continues, give us today our daily bread. And in this part of the prayer, we pray that God would meet our daily needs. But we recognized, and we saw this as we learned about this, that this is our daily need in a plural way. It is our, not mine, but our daily bread. So as we pray, we are praying for my daily bread, your daily bread, our daily bread in a singular way, but we're also then praying for those around us. And we're praying for those who struggle to have enough. So when we have more than enough, we are praying that God would then use us to meet others' needs. That connects this part of the prayer to the earlier part of the prayer, puts us in line with God's love and desire of grace and mercy and love in this world. You see how this continues to build, this continues to grow. Accepting, <coughs> excuse me, accepting what God has given us, living that out in our lives, and turning and reflecting and sharing that with our world. But then we come to this next part of the prayer that reminds us that we don't always do this. Last week, we came to this. We admitted that our selfishness, our greed, our judgment takes precedence in our lives more often than not. We have broken desires in our lives. We have the reality of sin in our lives. And what that means is that we end up hurting people around us with destructive behavior that comes from a self-centered life. The scriptures use the word sin, trespass, and debts to talk about this reality when our lives are misaligned with God's desire for our lives and our world. So what happens is we accept the love, the goodness, the mercy, the grace, the hope that God has. We accept that into our lives and we reflect that out into this world except the times that we don't. Because the reality of sin says, I, I, I don't want to. I, I, I don't have a place for God. I don't have a place for others. We set ourselves on our own throne. We put our own selfishness before anybody else, including God. And the scriptures call that reality sin. Our lives become misaligned with what God wants for our lives in this world. And more often than not, sin in our lives in that way ends up being self-destructive and ends up being destructive to the people around us. But there is hope. There is restoration for all of us because Jesus teaches about forgiveness. He says, and forgive us our debts in verse 12. Now, some of us fall on the side of struggling to ask for forgiveness because of our pride, for others, we struggle to ask for forgiveness because of our shame. 
The prideful have painted a picture of God so distant and impersonal that sin doesn't matter because God can't do anything for them. The person filled with shame sees God as distant and impersonal because God wants nothing to do with them because he only sees their sin. But Jesus tells us right here in these simple words, drop pride, drop shame, accept God's grace and mercy, receive forgiveness and restoration. To close up the message last week, I read these words. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Listen to that. If we claim to be without sin, if we claim, I've got it all figured out, I'm good, I, I try to be good, I try, I try my best. No, he says, listen, if you claim to be without sin, you deceive yourself. The truth is not in you. And then he says this, though. If we confess our sins, if we confess the, in the ways in which we're misaligned with what God wants for us and for this world, if we confess that reality, that we have that pridefulness, that we have that sense of placing ourselves on that kingdom, we have that selfishness within us, if we would confess that, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He restores us. See, what happens is this. Let me put this in a very clear picture for us because then this will help us get to the next part of this prayer. We look at God, we see God, we look to him. We see his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. We recognize and see that. We accept that into our lives. We turn, we reflect that into our world. And the life of faith becomes this perpetual circle that we talk about here at Southeast a lot. Loving God and loving others. Loving God and loving others. Our lives become this natural rhythm of grace and mercy. Looking to God's goodness and love and mercy and grace and sharing that with our world. I'm loving God and that is pouring out as I love others. And as I love others, I'm turning back and recognizing because I see it in others. I see it as I give my life to others that then I see this reality reflected in who God is. This is a self-perpetuating reality. But sin cuts us off from these two things. Sin is what cuts us off from loving others. Sin is what cuts us off from loving God. Sin causes us not to see God as a heavenly father who loves us and cares for us and wants all this for us, who has his goodness and his grace and his mercy, a God who forgives. Sin causes us to see God as wrathful and angry and vengeful and wanting nothing to do with us. Sin causes us to see a broken reality, an untruth about God. And then that same sin causes us to then not reflect his goodness and his love and mercy in this world. This is where greed and racism and hatred and all these things come from. It's a broken reality within our lives. And so what Jesus does is he says here, you can ask for forgiveness. You can turn. The word they often use is repent. You can turn back. God is ready for you to turn back again to be restored, to accept his love and his grace and his mercy and turn and again share that with this world. He is faithful and he is just and will forgive us our sins. And I love words like this because we don't use these much. And purify us from all unrighteousness. We've all made those mistakes. We've all messed up. We've all hurt others. 
We've all turned our backs on God. We've turned our backs on his community. We've turned our backs on the people of this world. But he is faithful and restores us, forgives our sins, purifies us, washes away that junk, and leads us back to righteousness. Then in response to our own forgiveness, Jesus says we are to forgive others. And we see this in this part of the prayer that I want to spend the rest of our time looking at today. See, all of this that we've talked about, this prayer builds on itself. It brings us to these points, and it comes to this today. So I want to read through the whole prayer again. As we come to this phrase on forgiveness, one that invites us to receive and then invites us to extend that forgiveness to others. Have this picture in your mind. See this picture in your mind as I read this. That we accept who God is in this prayer. Through the Holy Spirit, this becomes a reality within our lives. And then we share that goodness and love of God with this world. Here's how Jesus said it and why he teaches us to pray this way. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now again, we've seen this prayer. Just what I've talked about this whole morning, that our prayer reorients our lives, reshaping us to accept God's love, his grace, his mercy. And then, like I said, reflect that into this world. The same thing then is true. Through every part of this, the same thing is true when we come to forgiveness. So listen again to these two phrases that Jesus put together in this part of the prayer as he teaches us to experience, to receive forgiveness, and then in turn, just like every other part of this prayer, to share it with our world. Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Other translations may say, forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us. Maybe you've heard it as forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. Now to understand this, and I think we understand what forgiveness is about, but I want us to see how Jesus is teaching in this prayer because I think this is significant for us to understand. I think this is a convicting reality for us. To do that, I want to go back to the daily bread for just a second. So in that part of the prayer, we learn that we should pray for our daily needs, relying on God to provide what we need, which is a really hard prayer for us. God, I pray that you would provide for my needs. God, I'm praying that I would put my trust in you, as Kurt sang earlier today for us. I build my life. I'll put my trust in you. I'm turning to you, and I'm accepting your, I'm accepting your grace and your love and your mercy, your provision for my life. And then in turn, I'm sharing that grace, that goodness. I'm sharing the provision you have given me when I have more than enough, when I'm in that position, that place, I then am generous and I'm sharing it with those around me. It's not that hard to make that leap if we pray for our needs to be met 
that we should help others who have needs around us, right? Listen to that again. It's not hard for us to make that leap that if I pray for my needs to be met, that I should step in and help others when their needs aren't met, right? That's not hard for us to make an assumption there, right? When we get to that bread piece, we talk about that. Listen, it's not hard for me to say, God, I'm praying for provision. Would you provide for my needs? And then when I turn and look and see people without needs, it's not hard for me to then say, I should step in and help people who have need. I'm reflecting what I'm praying for God. I'm reflecting that into this world. I'm allowing myself to be a conduit of his grace and his mercy and his provision with my world. To put it another way, it would be hypocritical for us to pray for the daily bread we need if we are unwilling to share that bread with others. Listen to that. It would be hypocritical for us to pray for our daily bread that we need if we're unwilling to be generous and share So then, logically, let's connect that. Why would we ask for forgiveness and then be unwilling to share forgiveness? If it's hypocritical to ask God to meet our daily need and then not meet the needs of others, isn't it just as hypocritical to ask for forgiveness and then be unwilling to share that forgiveness when we have been wronged? Now, I want to be very clear about this next part. I wrote this in my notes, and I'm going to read a lot of this because I want to be clear. Forgiveness is not allowing people to hurt us over and over again. Forgiveness is not sweeping away pain and forgetting hurt. Forgiveness is not allowing injustices to continue unmet and unchallenged. I, I, I don't, I'm going to repeat it because this is important. This is too important. Forgiveness is not allowing people to hurt you over and over again. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not sweeping away pain. It's not forgetting hurt that's been done. That's, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not in lo- allowing injustices to continue to be unmet and unchallenged in this world. We prayed for God's will to be done on this earth that is is in heaven. Well, there is no injustice. There is no pain. There is no suffering. So we, we don't allow those things to just go on and continue. We have to be careful not to think of forgiveness as excusing behavior or eliminating consequences. Again, that is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is letting go of resentment, it's letting go of anger, it's letting go of bitterness. It is removing our desire for vengeance and retribution. And forgiveness is ultimately hoping for the restoration of others. I'm going to give you a little picture of this that I thought of as I was reading that just now. When, I, when I'm in a place where I need to forgive someone, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm mad, I'm frustrated, I'm hurt, right? My natural tendency is to clench my fists like this, to get angry and upset. This is our fight within us. But what happens is, 
If we get to the place where we've met the injustice, we've, we've, we've explained that the hurt is there, if we continue to live like this, we're not reflecting God's forgiveness in this world. Instead, what we need to do is we need to let go of the anger, let go of that resentment, let go of that bitterness. Because when you punch, you punch like this. When you hug and restore, I, I know this might sound corny, but just follow me here. You, you open up. This is a picture of forgiveness here. I can't think of a more clear picture of forgiveness that we see, the kind of forgiveness portrayed like this, than on the cross. It says in Luke 23, 33 through 34, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Try to imagine that moment as Jesus hung on the cross, looking at the people who followed him, looking at the people who betrayed him, looking at those who crucified him. And we can imagine Jesus miraculously taking himself off the cross, calling for an army, defeating the, those who placed him on the cross. We can see Jesus ready to fight. But if he had done that, Jesus would have chosen anger. He would have chosen violence. He would have chosen revenge. And he didn't. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He opened his arms in the reality of forgiveness. I have a, a, a picture frame that I have that I was given it from in high school. I was on a mission trip, and this picture frame is really special to me, and it has some signatures on the back of some people we worked with. And on that, it says, I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? This much, he answered. And he stretched out his arms and died. It's the picture of forgiveness we see here. He doesn't bring his arms into a fist and fight. He keeps his arms open and says, Father, forgive them. Pastor, author, and theologian Brian Zahn shows us the power of this moment. He says, instead of hurling curses and calling for revenge while he died on the cross, Jesus forgave from the cross. And that act of dying forgiveness sealed the fate of the Roman cross. In time, the cross would cease to be an ugly image of torture. Instead, it would become a symbol of love the symbol of forgiveness, the symbol of Christian faith itself. The cross had been the symbol of the ugliest thing human beings can do, torture and kill. But because of its association with the forgiveness of Christ, it became a symbol of beauty. It's incredible to think about. We have crosses in our churches. We have crosses around our necks. We have crosses in all different kinds of places. We take this, this picture of Roman torture, this picture of murder. And because of what Jesus did, the way that Jesus has the power to transform things, he took that very symbol and he turned it into the symbol of Christian faith. He turned it into the symbol of forgiveness. So that every time we look at that cross, I ask Jesus, how much do you love me? This much he answered as he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And listen, if God can take the cross and make it the most beautiful picture of forgiveness, what can he do 
in your life through this prayer as you allow it to continue to transform your heart. If God can take the cross, transform it into that picture of forgiveness, what can he do in your life as you forgive others? I put this phrase in my notes, and this is what I want to close with. Forgiveness is a gift that gives us the rare opportunity to see the world through the eyes of Jesus and to experience God's grace from his perspective. Through forgiveness, we see the incredible grace of God, the hope he has in our restoration, and the hope that others will be restored. So through the cross, through the cross, I see others through the eyes of Jesus. Through the cross, I see God's grace. Through the act of forgiveness that I am taught through the cross of Jesus. And through this prayer, as Jesus says, forgive others as you have been forgiven. I experience God's grace from his perspective and I see the world through his eyes. What if in the shadow of that cross you began to show forgiveness and grace to others the way that God showed it to you? And what if you began to see that in the words of this prayer as we close? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's pray. God, as we reflect on these words today, as we think about reflecting who you are in our world, as we accept your love, your mercy, and your grace in our lives, as we accept your provision, as we turn and share that with our world, May we in the same way accept your forgiveness. May we drop our pride. May we drop our shame. May we accept that we have been forgiven of the ways that we have misaligned our lives with your will for this world and for our lives. And Father, in the same way, may we drop the anger, the resentment, the bitterness that we have, and may we reflect the picture of the cross in this world, opening our arms up as we say, I forgive you. I forgive you. May we pray for hope and restoration of those who have hurt us, and may we learn to see the world through your eyes, through your grace, and may we forgive as you have forgiven us. It is your name that we pray today. Amen.